ETH Podcast COVID-19 Hello, I'm glad you're joining us and listening to the special edition of the ETH Podcast during the coronavirus pandemic. My name is Jennifer Kakshuri. In this episode, I'm talking to someone who's been in the media quite a lot lately. She knows how to read and interpret numbers and data regarding the spread of the virus. Hello, my name is Tanja Stadler. I'm a professor at the Department of Biosystem Science and Engineering at ETH Zurich, and my group works on computational evolution. Tanja, you've been working crazy hours lately, collecting data and analyzing it, extracting key figures also that we always are waiting for in the newspaper and calculating the speed of the coronavirus spreading. How does that work exactly? So here we pursue two different routes. One route is we are generating and collecting genomic sequencing data of the virus, meaning we characterize the genomes of the different viruses and in different infected patients. And based on that, we can calculate how fast does the virus spread. And using those data and tools, we estimate the spread of the virus in different countries, initially in China, but then later also in Italy, in the US, and so on. The second route is that we look at confirmed case data. So pretty much the data which is released every day for all different countries. And based on the number of cases, we extract the signal, is this number growing or decreasing? And from that, we quantify the speed of spread. Before we speak about the speed of spread, how can I imagine how you work with different countries right now? So for the international data, we actually use publicly available data sets. And during this crisis, it's remarkable how willingly different people, researchers, but also authorities share their data. So pretty much everybody makes data publicly available as soon as they generated the data. And for Switzerland, we contribute to this whole data set by generating our own genetic sequencing data, which we will release upon having generated and quality controlled this data. How significant are the mathematical models in managing the situation? So without models, we could only look at what are the numbers, are they growing or decreasing, but we wouldn't know if a certain trends would just be stochastic outliers, etc. So only once we apply mathematical models can we actually extract significant trends. And even more, once we look at genetic sequencing data, we have this, essentially for each patient where we have the virus, we have those letters A, C, G, T, 30,000 of them for each virus. Without any statistical tools and models, we couldn't extract any signal about what is happening with this virus. So you have screens with these letters that you just mentioned. How do you read them if you stare at your screen the whole day? How do you keep an overview? So actually, uh, our statistical tools, which we developed over the past years in my group, they read in all those letters. So as we discussed, 30,000 per virus. By now, there are thousands of genomes. So we have thousands times 30,000 of those letters. And then the statistical tools internally interpret this data. So we are actually not actively looking at those different letters, but the computer programs look at where are differences between different viruses in particular positions in the genetic code. The 
information that you get from the numbers and from the letters about how quickly the virus spreads, how quick are you in advising people in charge? How much are you in touch with politicians or with people responsible regarding the lockdown in different countries? So on a national basis, we release our results as soon as we have them on publicly accessible forums and we post there our results. So it's available as soon as we have results. For Switzerland, there's now the scientific task force, which is advising the government. And so when we have new results, we channel our results to the task force. And what's it like for you that research is basically real time, that you're actually Whatever you're researching is public knowledge a few hours later? So from a pure research perspective, that's in fact very exciting and motivating that we can see that our numbers and any results we have, we can directly share and they generate interest. And it's very exciting to see how different researchers globally rapidly then discuss also those results. And so uh, we can improve and other researchers can improve on their analyses. So it's very good and encouraging to see how much there is very rapid interaction. However, that being said, obviously, it means long working hours for everybody being involved. So everybody in the group and my group is working really hard to get those numbers as close to real time as possible. How are you in touch with or how do you collaborate with the international scene in this field? So first, regarding um, collaborations or more uh, specifically data sharing, there's a great platform where pretty much people upload their genetic sequencing data and we will also do the same. And so then people use all this non-published but publicly available data and discuss um, on different platforms, say um, through blog posts, etc., what their recent results are. A lot of the news are exchanged also via Twitter, so the non-published results. And those resources are very useful at the moment because the peer-reviewed publication process for the current pandemic is just too slow. We generate data too fast and can't wait for every paper to be peer-reviewed. So we are in touch on those less official channels with all our collaborators or other scientists working on the same questions. But could I imagine it like that you have regular meetings, Zoom meetings or Skype meetings just to have an exchange and to talk about what's going on in different countries? Indeed, we do. We don't do it on a very um, kind of organized across all country spaces that everybody comes together. At least that's not what I'm involved in. We more uh, get in touch with people where we read or see or hear that they do similar things in their countries and then um, do uh, direct Zoom meetings with those people and generate through that then contacts with yet other countries, etc. so that people are in very timely um, interactions and, and really Uh, exchange information rapidly. You've been observing the lockdown and the strategies international. Are you happy with the results so far? So what is very encouraging is that in countries which implemented a lockdown and where people adhere to the lockdown, case numbers really went down. And so most recently we saw that also for Switzerland here. And so that means the lockdowns internationally have an effect, a positive effect. So we can control the epidemic. Looking forward, though, what is the tricky task now is to allow a more normal life again without having the numbers going up again. 
Thank you, Tanya. Thank you for whoever is listening. I'm Jennifer Kakshuri and produced this episode of the ETH podcast together with Tiswachter's Audio Story Lab and sound designer Luki Fretz. <laughs>